Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Design Exec Club Town Hall Series. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design. This is episode 83, and we're in the Australian market today, and we're talking about Beyond Zero. What's really interesting, we had uh, the Glasgow Climate um, uh, Summit, also known as COP26, and probably what we saw out of that was not as much as we might have wanted. There were statements more about how do we get to compliance that wasn't how do we get to a better future. It wasn't what's beyond compliance. It actually was about how do we struggle with some people who want to go to the future faster and other people who want to stay with the past for longer. Um, uh, Lorena, I'm going to go and ask you, because your world, you've got people who are trying to go operate hotels which are efficient, hotels which make money. We know using fossil fuels and avoiding some of those changes is now the inefficient way of doing it. How are you finding people talking about that they want to go beyond the minimum, that they want to actually extend in the elites? Um, hi, everyone. Thank you for having me again. Um, actually, the hospitality industry is very active in applying a lot more efficiency in their sustainability. Um, they're one of the biggest contributors in, um, I guess, generating garbage and pollution in that regard, especially with um you know shampoo bottles and it's more in that level of efficiency so when we are giving a brief that is actually one of the main uh points that they add into our scope is how to reduce that waste um so when we do specify in hospitality that it's not so much about climate change and it, it really never comes to us in a with a political angle it's always just giving to us in you know whenever you offer or you create a design just make sure that uh, you're sensitive towards waste that is generated by hospitality mm -hmm. um so we pay attention in you know where the bottles are you know if they're recycled in the way that the textiles are selected um also we're looking at the health and wellness of the people that are staying and because of their marketing they also want to promote um you know the um the the the, the global um i guess manufacturing and who who is um contributing to uh the sustainability, you know, as far as, you know, uh, wellness and the production of objects so that they can reduce the carbon um, footprint as well. So they, I don't, I, like I said, I don't see it as a huge political um, angle as far as sustainability is more of the responsible angle in how we can reduce waste. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember in one of the very early town halls, we had David from uh, the body shop on, on board and he was talking about that the body shop now had refill capacity for their various cans. So you could bring in your own container, you could bring in a past container. And they went into the history of where that refill movement came from and they had it and then their risk management said we need to stop it because they were frightened that somebody could have brought in a dirty bottle and therefore there would have been a liability for the brand because somebody then had a dirty bottle that then they put a lotion on their face and that was a problem similar to the hotels with, uh, with those single-use containers. What was interesting was when the body shop dug into what their um, corporate social responsibility was, there was more risk for them not to refill than there was if they were refilling. And they were able to get through that equation and, and say, you know, we need to go focus on what is our overall position, not a point position. And I found that very interesting. Like there's some, there's some good corporate leadership there 
And I think what we spoke about in the last town hall um, series was that you've actually got impact can come from a leadership perspective or it can come from a protest and resistance perspective. Body Shop went and did that. I've seen some of the hotels have decided to turn around and have that leadership position and say, here's a different way. Um, I think uh, Overlo do it very well with uh, the way the minibar system works, where ring up reception and we'll stock your minibar, but it's not always stocked. And that's a way to go and actually handle some of the, um, uh, the minibar wastage that's in there. And uh, so I go, it's nice to see people in hospitality thinking about how they're going to go do those things because we need to not only be thinking about carbon, but we need to be thinking about all of the stages which are, are beyond zero. Like, how do we extend? How do we go get there? David, in your world... Can I just add something on that? Just if you, if you change on hospitality, because who has the power is the consumer. And you mentioned something that was key is that that responsibility, is, you know, the social responsibility, the, the consumer is making a choice and the hotels understand that. So they're listening to the consumer. So if, if, if the hospitality brands um, can share that in their marketing as like they are supporting socially re responsible companies, the consumer is, requi is requesting that. So they want to connect. So the power in hospitality is on the consumers. Yeah. They're listening and, and to that. Just, just on that point, Eloretta, I, I remember doing the hot, um, when I worked at the hotels was a few years back. This is, this is like last century. It was all the idea for the customers. Well, if you've got a bowl of fruit, just don't put one banana in there, put two bananas. Now, of course, the other way now reverse is to say the customer doesn't want two bananas. The customer doesn't maybe even want a bowl of fruit because he's not going to eat that. So there's this whole reverse cycle of don't give me too much abundance, don't give me that waste because I'm actually paying for this and I don't want it. So, uh, you know, really it's a converse thing of how, how society has changed and how expectations have changed. Um, and the same size of room sizes and all that sort of stuff. It's just, it's been a, it's been a major cultural shift uh, yeah. from the customer. And, and I think that leadership role that David Perry from Body Shop spoke about is that you need to reassess in the current context of those decisions that you made in the past. And I think that was such a brilliant piece of leadership from Body Shop to say refill stations are now available globally. They're refitting their stores. They're making sure that all of that possibility comes around to make sure that they're getting closer to their, their aspirations and their goals. Julie. Yeah, I was just going to add that um, Microsoft had a very interesting take on their uh, cafeteria lines and that all of the food was free. You only paid for what you didn't eat rather than what you were eating. So if you had any waste left over on your plate or you, you know, took too many items and you chose not to eat them. Those are the things that you paid for. So it kind of really made people conscious of exactly what they wanted and what they would use in order to eliminate waste. Yeah. So, Dave, I was trying to throw across to you, and it was great to go see that the conversation just kept flowing. But in your world, where does the aspiration of getting beyond compliance come in? You know, there's obviously there's the compliance things, or are you yet to see that there? Because I know particularly around the construction and display industries, it seems to be a compliance point, not necessarily a beyond compliance perspective. Yes, it's, it's cost and available product availability that I see. Um, it's hard enough to get the product, just the standard um, rigid panels, perspex, vinyls. Um, so Australia is only a little market. So I, I think we're going to be one of the, the latter people to see mm -hmm. how sustainable products come and make make it into Australia. So at the moment, I don't see anything other than a little bit of chatter. 
um, people want to look for it. They do want to um, make have it available. But the cost is probably going to be a minimum of 30 to 50% more than um, current materials or products. So until that changes and they come more in line from a cost perspective, I don't think it's going to get a huge amount of traction in my industry in Australia. Um, it's, it's difficult. But fit out and the, where we do do the signage, once they strip these places out to redo them, everything goes into landfill. There's no barely anything salvaged other than the copper or the aluminium from some of the frames or the cabling. That, that's all that is um, salvaged. So I don't think anything particularly is, is on the cards immediately. Yeah, I, I've had a couple of really interesting conversations in the last, in the last years with different groups, whether they're in, um, in Asia or um, in, in France or in New York. And what was, what was interesting, one in particular, a company called Team Creative, they do a lot of um, retail scheme fit-out, so um, uh, concessions that are going into um, uh, shopping malls. Uh, they also do fit-outs for um, clothing brands. And they began to use structural cardboard rather than using MDF or chipboard with then vinyl, uh, rather than laminates, just a, a vinyl covering on them. And it was interesting to go see when they went through the environmental footprint of that because they were doing a 1,000 stores. And, they, and so the impact that they were going to make by making that standard change was dramatic on cost. So rather than being a 30% premium, as you suggested, they were actually doing at a cost benefit. They were, they were dramatically ahead because they got the scale and they got the plan in there. I think it's when people do small scale, I'm trying to, you know, do the thing that we know and that we can know lots of sources to go and actually get the best price or we're trying to do something that's an indent. It's when you actually get it to be part of the standard behaviour, the standard availability, that's where the cost efficiency. So Team Creative found that. Um, well, I, I guess if to, to, for me, my, my business is more geared toward construction. So I'm, I, I guess I'm more talking on behalf of, of that industry as opposed to the retail, which seems to be much more innovative. It's short-term um, displays. They're only going to be there for a few weeks, a few months, indoors, where my ones have to be guaranteed for seven years. They are specified certain products by the architects and the designers. So typically I don't get a, a massive amount of, of input on that until they um, put something out there that's very difficult to actually do. So if they do nominate a green sustainable product, let's say, or eco, and it's not available, we have to, we still have to do the job and they just have to, to take what's, what's available. And that seems to be the thing they, they want want it knowing that it's not available <laughs> it doesn't it's very difficult we we have good intentions but you can't actually do anything with it and and we know that when we make a choice of something and it's a unique or bespoke product that it's at a premium because you can't second source it um also if it's if you're trying to do something that's innovative the first time you go buy it, it might be expensive for you because you don't know that there were three suppliers and you could have actually worked on the price. So, but, so we've got this interesting thing when you're trying to break ground to do something new, it might be more expensive. It doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. I think that example yep. of Team Creative. And what interests me was they went from the materials that were using in their merchandising point of sale and they said, why don't we actually just spec it up a little bit and it can last three to five years. So they're doing entire store fit-outs 
that are that are permanent installations, which are basically resilient sets. You know, yeah. like, and CBRE shared with me a number of years ago that the average tenancy that they have in the commercial tenancies is eighteen months. So that's a that's a so the World Expo has been constructed for an eighteen month period. You know, so so it's like it it is a display. It's not actually a resilient environment. Now I know definitely with the hotel um, spaces that uh, between Julie and Lorena that you've been involved in, that they've got they've got a much harder wearing surface. But there's other spaces which are a lot more um, short short term, and they should be considered about how do we get beyond compliance? We go actually go that little bit further. Lucy, we're talking here about things that are do about beyond zero. Is it is it new for us? But it's just standard for you. Like, are you just, are you looking going? Why why aren't you people just doing this? I don't think it's new for anyone. Like we all know what we need to do. It's so obvious. But I think where it's not kind of connecting is that the leaders and governments are just not willing to say what is happening and they're not willing to put in place binding laws that will force people into compliance and nothing will happen until that is the case. And, I mean, for us in Victoria or even all around Australia, we've seen from the pandemic, from lockdowns and the vaccine rollout, that mandates and laws for the majority of the population, they work. So put them in place for climate issues. I just don't think that anything will change until those government policies are there. So you've, you've hit on something really interesting. Pre-pandemic, it was the 0.1% got a voice. When the pandemic's come around and we've had all these mandates and laws that have had to be brought in to go look after the 95% of the population, that 0.1% have lost their voice. So we've had a, there's been a power shift from the, the exceptional, exceptional group having voice down into it's actually the vast majority now have voice and those exceptions are have less equity in some of the directions that we're going in. That's There's some good and bad associated with that because it's that old pendulum that swings too far one way and too far back the other way. So I suppose what we need to do is work out where does the, the human rights of the majority fit in and where does the rights of the individual fit in and that they need to go work how to sit there and balance. Because there might be somebody who really likes burning coal and they want to keep doing that for a long, long time. Um, should we allow them to do that? Or, you know, I'm disposing of some asbestos that's uh, old asbestos from around, around my um, house here. Should we be allowed to work with asbestos when we know that it's so dangerous? Because we outlawed it and there weren't the type of outcries that the government's trying to control me. But now we've got, when it comes to things like banning coal, Getting, being in a decol era, people that have a very staunch position. So I find, I find it interesting, as you were saying, there's mandates, there's laws that are coming in, but we have seen a change in the vast majority seem to have their voice back, and that's going to be quite interesting. Richard, I, I know that um, in your world that there's, you know, you're working with people who have big brands. You've got a couple of kids. You've got homeschooling that's going on. The last couple of years have been a vast change. But does the imagination of getting beyond zero, does that come in for the family where it's like, yeah, this is something we want to champion or is it outside the realm of your family discussion? 
Well, I think uh, picking up on the conversation, Mark, you mentioned I think critical point there that there's so many voices uh, that information is so easily shared instantly. Uh, from my point of view, I'd have to say that there are so many other issues in life. That is one issue, but to be able to manage uh, beyond zero within your own domestic environment, it's very difficult because also there's not what I would regard as uh, as uh, Nancy was saying. There's not a Lucy was saying. There's not enough leadership. Mm. So it's very hard. You know, it's very, there's leadership in strong voices in, in different aspects, but one singular leadership. I mean, for example, when, when I do um, work for our clients, I talk about the, I've got it here because it's easy to read, but I've got this sort of UN sustainability goals, which I say to our clients, you know, there's about dignity, prosperity, justice, partnership, planets and people. You know, when you start looking at those things and what I try and do is say, well, okay, how can they be value adds to a company? Actually, they can address that in their brand. Now, you know, if you, if you separate my brand business from my family business, I'd say my family just, we just try and cope. <laughs> End of story. So, so let's just move from that. In brand, at least you can have a system and you can have a focus and it all comes back to value. Mm. Uh, I think the problem we've got is that there's really no strong singular voices. We really need it to be in a religion about our sustainability on our earth. And that's very difficult when you've got competing voices and you've even got your own government, which it seems to be working against the popular opinion that we've got to do something about the environment. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I've always find these conversations sort of enjoyable but frustrating because you can't sort of really get together on a considered singular note that, yes, let's move this way. Uh, the problem is, of course, as we're not doing things, uh, there are, I, I've wrote, written a poster on, on LinkedIn that said, uh, will the next decade determine not what was right but what is left? Uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a word game, but what is going to be left and what's going to be left for our children? Uh, and going back to what Dave talked about, uh, one of the problems is we have a small market and unless the customer is actually making a demand about what they want in their building or their poster or their fit out, that they want to be sustainable, the, the, the manufacturer or the designer is not really going to put that top of mind unless they feel that customers are after that. So it's a very, there's a lot of competing forces about doing trying to do good. Yeah, and so there's a couple of thoughts that come out from your comments there. One is I'm going to explore a little bit in a moment about mutuality because mutuality is something that we don't talk a lot about, which we need, need to be talking about. The other one is about the customer specifier. I've seen a lot of um, practices who are actually doing environmental impacts from with a stealth perspective. It isn't necessarily what the customer requested. It's the fact that they know how to source the materials which are the better for the environment, better for the budget, and that they've worked out how to go put in these stealth environmental and positive solutions into their projects that the clients would never have specified. And, and that's a really interesting thing of seeing that, they, you know, there's these longitudinal paths where you can see a practice over a decade where they've built environmental factors into buildings. And, and, Mark, on, and, Mark, on that, and Mark, on that point... Isn't it beholden upon those people like architects and planners and developers and all these sort of things that actually have access to that knowledge to bring that knowledge to bear for a customer who, as you quite rightly said, doesn't necessarily know, but given the choice and all things being equal, would actually go that way because someone's taken the trouble to actually see it as a bigger picture rather than as a project. Exactly. So I, I think that's a, I think it's a huge opportunity there for, for organisations. Yeah, I think there is. Uh, I'll add in, I'll, if you don't mind, it's if... They need to do that and they need to actually order the material six months out because I don't get long enough on a project to deliver. I might get three months and even just the standard product is eight weeks. If I have to go and import this from a, a 
maybe Europe or the US or some more specific um, companies or, or factories, I, you really need to give a lot more time. So you need to be thinking about it and ordering it two steps before it comes to me. Otherwise, I just can't deliver in the timelines we, we, get, we get given. Yeah, and, and working out um, alternate materials that, that have a better environmental profile is a very complex thing. We've been trying to go find an alternate to the acrylic that we use in our trophies for the last 12 months. Actually, it's more like 18 months. COVID slipped away. And what's interesting about that is it was, it, it was so difficult to find an alternative. We're now looking at actually a, a totally new trophy design because we can't go find an alternate to acrylic that's, a, that's environmentally sustainable. It's taking a long time to get those materials sort of that. So I know exactly where you are, David, there. Um, Lorena, we've been talking a lot here about how we go and actually think about Beyond Zero. And Richard's brought up about this, you know, we need to work together, which I, I'd call the mutuality side. You don't necessarily have to agree with everything, but what you might have is some common goals. Do you find that that's something that, you're working on continually with clients is not necessarily being in total agreement, but working out a mutual goal. And that's what we're mutually trying to work to. I think I do. I do think that at least in design um, for property, it feels a little bit like it's all or nothing. Like you either market as a green building and then the star rating. And then if, if, if no one's going to win marketing wise on those, on those, I guess, bullet points then they're fine giving up on all the sustainability because if it's going to make them work harder pay more why even go on that route i do know that my colleagues in design as we are sharing we understand the new products that are coming the innovation that is coming and we do present it right but at the end of the day we're not the decision makers um so that's that's one factor but you know as richard says supply and demand right if the consumer really is asking for it then then they have to be given that product and i think it's just about educating people about what's available and and we live in a world that it's you know we're in and it's a booming economy everybody wants to make money and if I can just give you an example, there are some great um, local paint companies that are the ones that have the ab uh, ability to innovate in a product to be, um, you know, uh, non-toxic, for example. But if we are working on a $200 million property, the contractor that is going to be painting that building has a special account with Dulocs. You know, and even though Dulux has or, or a big brand name has some level of low impact product, the smaller local paint company has a better product. Right. But then you look at who has the contracts. Right. So then that's sometimes they don't let that that smaller company get in into the big jobs. And, and, and that's really where, you know, how much can we push? Right. We do present the options. We have A and B. And then at the end of the day, they go with, you know, and that goes into carpet companies you know the carpet install installers sometimes have the last say it's not the developer it's the installer mm -hmm. the developer just wants the efficiency they want the product to be delivered on time and on budget and so so the decision making is in the painter it's in the carpet installer it's in the tiler that's the one that's bringing the supply and install so and that's why when i started the the better future model it, it's the idea of five generations, the grandchildren's grandchildren. Because 
it's a big enough concept that people can say, oh, this is actually 150 years. You know, it might be 200 years if people are slow breeders. It might be um, 100 years if they're fast breeders, you know, that having children at 20 or having children at 40. But five generations is a big enough consideration that you say, what are we leaving for them? You know, the London Underground is basically 150 years old. Wouldn't it be great when they were putting in the London Underground that they were saying, we think this is going to be useful to people in the year 2020. What are we doing to make sure that it works for them? That's the sort of longitudinal perspective because then when somebody is like the carpet installer wants to put in the under-specification underlay because nobody sees the underlay, but you know it's made out of the most toxic material and the, it, it's not, never going to be able to go into recycling and have a, an upcycle in a circular economy. That's when everybody in the building site says, but we've signed up for the better future model, which is longitudinal. It's not just this moment in time. They're those important leadership perspectives that we need to be reminding people that we're doing things here that Lucy's grandchildren, I'm sorry, Lucy, you've already had kids if you're a grandmother. Um, and so Lucy's grandchildren are going to have those benefits. And that's what we should, that should be our aspiration for what are we doing for Lucy's grandchildren not what are we doing for our bottom line, at home, which is a very difficult, very difficult. In, in those cases, picking up on that point, Mark, you know, I always say that uh, the cost of something or is the build of something is relatively within parallel parallels. It's actually if the design can, can make a big difference because that can actually determine the outcome within a much more efficient process. So I, I always say in terms of signage or whatever, I say it can cost you so much to make a sign, you can do it so much more effectively and efficiently if you have a designer on top of it who can actually do it better. And, uh, you know, the other thing to point is on that, that I know someone who's just moved into a new development with a house. The house next door has got a nine-star rating. They've got a seven-star rating and they've got, they've got rating envy because they, they, don't, they haven't got the, the, nine, the nine scale. And, of course, from a nine-scale rating from a, from a potential purchaser's point of view, it's going to have an advantage over a seven-scale rating and, therefore, there's a dollar return on it. So you have to put all this back into a value, as Loretta said, the value doesn't have to be monetary low. The value has to, can, has, has to be quality of life, et cetera. There's a, th these values are now being understood by people and that has to be articulated, but that all comes back to ideas, communication, and, uh, and a focus on what's going to be best for the longer term. Yeah, we'll put in a link to the spotlight that we did with Harry West and we, we get into this really, it's almost depressing um, conversation where Harry says, unless we can put a value on, on the better future, unless we can put a value on the sustainability outcomes, we're not going to do it. And we, and we can't put a value on caring and social equity, so therefore we're not going to do it. You're 100% right that we need to be able to actually work out how to get the people who are the hyper-rationalists that they can see that the nine is better than the seven and therefore there's uplift. It's the only thing they're going to respond to. They've got a rational gene propensity. To carry that on, I think what uh, one of the one good things that Prince William has said probably over the whole time since he's been alive was actually, why do we need to go and populate Mars for the future? Why can't we make Earth a better place? Excellent. Uh, well, simple point. When the revolution happens and he's on the gallows, we'll remind <laughs> everybody, say, so, okay, you, you, didn't, you don't get the guillotine. Your, your brother does, but you don't get the guillotine. <laughs> it's like that. It's, and, and that's, again, he has a platform and he's made a leadership statement. A leadership statement which is about exciting the imagination of people to say this is what is beyond. And I, and I think there's an 
actual thing that we're doing now and there's the beyond. And one of the things we've done in the last couple of town halls is ask people it's going to be a better future when. And I think I'm going to ask all of you now just the question of, well, what do you think beyond zero is? You know, what's your big thing? I'll start off. I've got a house now that is generating 20 times the amount of energy, now that we're in summer, 20 times the amount of energy that I'm consuming. In winter, it's generating five to six times the amount of energy that I'm using. So there's a beyond zero thing. When I went to install that system, the, the people who were selling it didn't want to sell me something that generated so much power. And I said, just give me the maximum. So to me, it's a better future and I'm beyond zero when I'm actually energy positive. How about for you, Dave? Heck, what do you think your beyond zero thing is that you can say, we want to do this in the next year or two? Well, I would love to have a home that generates that much, much energy. Um, I guess I would want to put it back into the grid. So if I could share that with my neighbour or someone who isn't so fortunate to have available power, then I can choose to give that to someone in more need. The only thing is I work across certain, like all demographics, and I don't know what it costs to upgrade your home to that, but I know some of the guys out West and the families that are struggling more, especially with with employment and pandemic, they couldn't afford to do it. It's not on their radar in this lifetime. The, the investment for the, the majority it's just not available for them financially. And they wouldn't care if the, the benefit is 20 years or, or even probably two months away. They, they can't afford it today. And that, that's, that's probably one of the bigger problems. But I would definitely see myself moving towards, I want an electric vehicle. I want to make my footprint a little bit more friendly to the, to the earth if, if I can. Um, but availability and cost is, is a huge concern and of mine. And, and, and it's brilliant that you've gone into a couple of other things there. One is the idea of gifting the benefit. I'd never thought, because microgrids are going to come around where you can actually then trade your power. But the idea that the energy that's coming off my roof that I could be gifting to people who can't afford energy, how awesome would that be? It's my choice. It's my power. Absolutely brilliant. And the other one is the, the inability for people to actually invest in the plant and equipment. Now, for me, it's something like a, a 25, 26-month return on the investment. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have that money to go put that in. It's working out how to make that, make that work out for people to help them to get beyond zero. Love it. Okay. How about for you, Julie? Um, because Julie in the, one of the other town halls made a famous statement, which was, we're going to run out of planet before we run out of money. So how do you think we get to beyond zero so that we, we, we're getting the, the planet still here? I, I think that it was picking up on um, what was said, that um, when those of us who have the luxury to be able to have these types of conversations and dialogues, are all aware enough that we can help take care of the people that don't have the luxury to have these conversations and dialogues that will be at a point where we can really move things forward. Yeah. No. So yes, give your electricity away. I think that's a wonderful idea to yeah. someone who needs it. Wonderful idea. I think that's pretty good there. Richard, how about for you? What do you think that you can do in the next couple of years that would be that beyond zero? And I'm meaning in a personal activation or business activation, not just for your clients. Well, I, I lead a pretty uh, minimum uh, lifestyle as it is, uh, Mark, so uh, I don't know whether there's a lot I could do except have a house that was, uh, you know, much more environmentally friendly, I think, in terms of lifestyle, et cetera. Everything is minimal. Um, we don't, we don't uh, have excess 
I think more the contribution I can make is to use my skills and uh, reputation, et cetera, and the jobs I work with to actually encourage this idea that um, they should be thinking at all times of how we can do it uh, with less resources, less materials. In fact, we are doing that already. I mean, when's the last time? I, I haven't heard the last time I need another 200 business cards. I haven't heard that. What, Secondly, what's a business card? Yeah, that's right. Secondly, for example, we've got a binder in here. We always to print all our materials out. We don't do that anymore. Everything's PDF. So in a, you know, in, a, in a very small way, but I mean, these are all contributions to less waste, less waste for the garbage people to take away. Um, so that's, that's, that's my consciousness. And my consciousness is really to try and at all times tell my clients, think about the impact on the environment. That this is what we're looking at. I, am, I, I do have to say to you from a, a visual point of view, they say that in space, no one can hear you scream. So when the earth, when the blue marble turns to brown and there's nothing there, there will be huge screams out there, but no one, <laughs> there'll be no one to hear it in any case. And I, I, you, there's a picture in everyone's mind that you'd have but all of the water on the globe. We don't make any more water. All the water on the earth can fit just in the, in the United States only. That's, that's the amount of water we have. So these are sort of visuals and things that, that we should be top of mind and in people's minds so that they're conscious of what they're doing. And I'm going to I try and contribute to that. Yeah, no, I think you do that really well. Lucy, for you, the idea of being beyond zero. For me and for my peers, it's just kind of about activating sense of hope and not losing faith and just trying to keep being passionate about and keep poking the bear and hopefully it'll get somewhere. Okay, so you picked up there about poking the bear, which is which is a impact from a protest perspective. Are you also tuned in to hooking into impact that's coming from a leadership perspective, For, you know, adopting and following the people who are actually taking the leadership path, or is it that there's more interest in poking, poking the bear? And it could be a both, an, an and, not an all conversation. Yeah, I think it should probably be a little mix of both. I think the thing that is tricky about right now, and especially for us in Australia, the leadership, um, the sort of like designated leadership uh, is not really providing the example that we want. But I guess the same, uh, something else that could be said about right now is that it is so easy to have a platform and to be able to access people who are sharing their ideas, and that is one of the great things about the internet and social media is that you do find people who are doing courageous things and you can make the choice to follow their example. So, yeah, a little bit of both. Like I don't think it should all be about protest to no avail. There has to be some leadership in there somewhere and we have to follow it. It's just that we probably have to maybe go find it ourselves. Fantastic. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So we're going to get very close to wrapping up here. So, Lorraine, I know that you have to go in a couple of minutes, so we're going to do, kick off our wrap-up round here. If we keep waffling on, please, we understand that you need to go. So how do you think that in your practice that you can actually get to that beyond zero, engender those conversations? Do you think there's things that you can activate and the, the collaborations that you can put in place? Absolutely. Um, and, and we are already starting a, a process in that. One of the biggest um, areas that I find that my business creates a lot of waste is having that architectural design library, all the samples, carpets, tiles, everything that we're giving, um, brochures, catalogs. 
I really, I'm, I'm looking to see if there's a way that we can create co-working space just for designers and creatives so we can have a communal library that we can all utilize. I think that is a enormous contribution that we can do um, to reduce that carbon footprint, at least on our end. Um, as a designer, I also, you know, wish that zip tabs and you know it's such a premium to have a filtering system at home i really and i am pushing very hard to see and hopefully i can see in my lifetime as a designer that um we apply chemical free you know um watering filtration systems as a standard in residential buildings because it's not just the water that we drink but it's the water that we utilize to shower to wash our face and it's full of chemicals so it's not you know, yes it is in the paint and it is in the products but it, it's like basic water which you know we, we spoke about water it's just like it shouldn't be a luxury to have a filtration system to drink something the zip tap should not cost three thousand dollars we should be able to shower on chemical free um water and so I think there were, and what's interesting, you're raising a standard which is saying, let's go get that we've improved. So we've got, it's not compliance, it's actually beyond compliance. And I think if you're working in a luxurious, abundant life, it's always about going beyond the minimum, isn't it? Yeah, that's fantastic. So thank you for today. I know that you're probably going to need to drop off in just a moment. So I, I like that there. Um, David, how about for you, wrapping up here, is the idea of being beyond zero short-term horizon for you or is it still evades you in your commercial world uh it's a thought it's a consideration at the moment i've got to say it's not going to come into my world i don't suspect in the next couple of years before it becomes a a real movement um product availability is is more available for the high end so that the majority of um the homes or the apartments that are going up, I don't think would would even consider it at the moment. So just your, your high-end hotels, high-end apartments in the cities, I think they're the ones that are going to take, take this movement to the next level. And then perhaps compliance, like what Lucy said, and, and the leaders are going to have to enforce that across the board. But I can only see that it's going to come at a, a huge cost. Consumers, who's, who's going to pay? So I'm going to join what uh, Lorena said and what you said. These material libraries, material labs, so that you can actually see products and that they're efficient, that they're in the one location, makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a conversation that we can have in the coming year with suppliers about how you're going to start to do that so that people are aware of the new products, they've got their new alternatives, and they're flagged as being a better future option that's in there. Richard, um, let's go over to you as we go to wrap up here. Better future, is it virtue signaling? Yeah, the idea of beyond zero, is it virtue signaling or is it something that we can actually demonstrate to people? I think it's a quite frankly, it has to be a cultural movement, it has to come from the consumer, the purchaser, the buyer who makes the demands, like everything else, they need to be brought up to speed in terms of the impact of their lifestyles, and therefore there's a way they can make a choice. Yeah. That, 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 that's my simple view. No, I get that. Julia, how about for you? Um, is this something, because we spoke about where we're seeing the leadership, particularly out of the greater China market, where it's actually their, their concept of beyond zero is leading the world and is being done from a central perspective. Are we going to get there at the same speed as China or do you think uh, China's just going to strip mm -hmm. it and lead the way for us? I think that China will do, um, will stay on its path, whether we can keep up or not is a different story. But um, I think that 
working in the hospitality industry as a design and um, building disciplines, we have a really great partner in all of the hotel companies because they are setting standards that they're signing contracts with owners who are paying all the bills, but they're setting and establishing standards uh, that are looking forward that are all about you know net zero and better than net zero. So we can use them as an ally in justifying the need to order early uh, you know, and explain to our clients exactly um, where they need to be going yeah, in terms of all of these issues. And uh, Lucy, just as we wrap up here, the future generation, next generation, beyond zero, does it warm your heart that we're having a conversation about this or do you go, it's more hot air that these older people are talking about? The conversations need to be have had and I think, you know, not every conversation, well, certainly not every conversation that can be had about this is going to actually result in implemented change. But, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we talk about it to our friends, the more we talk about it to our families, the more we talk about it to the people at work, the more it will just become a part of our day-to-day discourse. And that's when you start getting things like demands from consumers and people asking for more sustainable choices and yeah, as Richard said, if that is what is going to push people uh, into making these products available and making them financially viable, then, you know, these conversations, maybe they're a good start. Fantastic. I think that's a fantastic place to go and wrap this up here. Panel, and we know Lorraine has already had to leave us, but this has been awesome. Again, we've been able to go walk around explore a topic and have the courage to actually say maybe we don't know but we're prepared to go push the boundaries and learn from each other thank you so much for your time i'm always humbled thanks mark bye